The Guardian. Rugby World Cup 2015 podcast on The Guardian, sponsored by Heineken. Proud to open Rugby World Cup 2015. Welcome to The Guardian's Rugby World Cup 2015 podcast. I'm Sandy War, and today we'll be looking back on the two semi-final matches which saw the All Blacks narrowly beat the Springboks and the Wallabies defeat the Brave Pumas. We'll also preview the final in which Australia and New Zealand will meet in a World Cup final for the very first time. Well, joining me is comedian and broadcaster Andy Zaltzman. From The Guardian we have senior sports writer Andy Bull and a big podcast welcome to Alexander Bisley, sports writer and broadcaster with Radio New Zealand. Uh, Alexander, hello to you first of all. Um, we will of course be talking about the All Blacks win but generally what have you made of being here for the World Cup? Oh, it's been a fantastic tournament, Sandy. Um, it's re- really been worth the 40-hour flight and all, all, all the all the drama of getting here and just, you know, around the country and in, in England and uh, Wales and Newcastle. The atmosphere has just been fantastic. The stadiums are great. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're so well purpose-built for rugby, sitting, you know, right, right on the action at Twickenham and, and, and Millennium. Um, and it's just been, it's been fantastic to see how much the game's developed. You know, this, the, the former minnow, have really lifted the game up and I just think it's been a fantastic showcase for the game and uh, you know, New, New Zealanders have been proud that, that the game we're so obsessed with is uh, showing its uh, vast superiority to soccer. Andy um, and Andy, there's been no, no home nation involvement of course uh, for a week five live, Radio 5 Live relegated Sunday's semi-final to the sister station Sports Extra in favour of the Manchester football derby what do we read into that? Oh, it's just slightly depressing isn't it to have that uh, return to the primacy of football uh, I take no interest in that game whatsoever but I understand it was quite a dull match am I right in saying that? It's a that? goalless draw yeah. Right, yeah, uh, whereas at Twickenham you had a, a World Cup semi-final, two fantastic teams playing brilliant rugby yeah, I just find that slightly sad but very predictable And yeah, I mean it's really disappointing that the BBC chose that game at this absolutely critical stage of the football season with only seven months left and 30-odd <laughs> games. You know, it could be absolutely critical. Yeah, it was. It's disappointing. I think you know, it's a, a tournament that uh, I think, as, as uh, Alexander said, has surpassed expectations in terms of the entertainment. It's had you know, sort of great narratives all the way through. And the, the fact that you know, there was no home nation in it really... It's neither here nor there, I think. Uh, it should be about the sport. And the BBC is our leading radio sports broadcast. You'd hope would have uh, would have yeah. stuck I mean, with it rather I think longer. The rugby has been brilliant all through this tournament. The, the, the teams have really delivered. And I wonder what Alexander thinks about this. The, the host nation, I think we've done a, an OK job. There's not been as much sort of public enthusiasm as I would have hoped for at the beginning of the tournament. And I think certainly if you compare it to France in 2007... That was much more of a kind of nationwide party. And everywhere you went, you were aware that there was a Rugby World Cup going on. Although, Alexander, you were saying Cardiff was extraordinary. Yeah, I thought Cardiff was fantastic. And again, the thing we saw in Cardiff, I mean, that wonderful quarterfinal, although both teams, I think, were ultimately overhyped and disappointing. Ireland versus France, you know, their supporters, how, how passionate they are, they're singing, they're chanting, they're, they're, they're dancing. That was, that was great to see. And then afterwards, even though they got ignominiously knocked out both of them their supporters were still having a good time and you know just realizing that there's ultimately just a game as as wonderful and riveting and, and spectacular as it is 
Well, let's turn our attention then, of course, to the action. Saturday's semi-final, which saw one of the world's most keenly contested rivalries come to Twickenham. New Zealand beat South Africa 2018 in a high-tension affair fitting for this heavyweight occasion. New Zealand will now make their first appearance in a World Cup final in the Northern Hemisphere. The All Blacks had won 10 out of the past 12 meetings, but in this one they trailed 12-7 at half-time before a second-half comeback. And, of course, a big reason everyone's pointing to was, was Dan and the role that, that he played. He's been off his game for a couple of years now, including at super level, so it's fantastic to have seen uh, since that mighty battle against Tonga in, in, in Newcastle, you know, a, a resurgent Dan Carter. Um, but I, I think, you know, for me, it's such a formative memory, one of the formative memories of my childhood, 20 years ago, growing up in rural New Zealand, getting up excitedly early in the morning, you know, to watch those dazzling games in South Africa, walking, we didn't actually have a TV, so walking through the paddocks to our neighbours, and it was so exciting and enthralling watching the All Blacks that entire tournament and then the utter heartbreak when we lost that that final against um, the the Springboks so I really think it's you know 20 years later there was so much riding on that game so much stress amongst New Zealand supporters and it was really fantastic that you know the All Blacks unlike Cardiff eight years ago they they kept their composure and uh, you know it was uh, you know utu or revenge for 20 years ago and I, I, I was impressed with the All Blacks it wasn't it wasn't perfect but I was impressed at half time knew behind that must have been almost unbearable oh uh, yeah I've never you know Steve Hansen he's a very minimalist man he's not not known to uh, great shows of emotion but he looked very ill you know looked like he'd got completely car sick on a long South Island <laughs> drive on a gravel road you know he um, so and then he looked you know extraordinarily happy at the end and was unusually uh, expressive at the press conference you know when he talked about how how rapt he was with his boys Mm-hmm. So Andy, you were you were there. Well, Andy, both Andys, but Andy yes. Saltzman. What was it like at, at halftime as a, a neutral? Uh, a bit wet. I was sitting, <laughs> sitting right at the front on ground level in the corner. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, well, as these games tend to be, one of sort of riveting tension, and um, I, I guess the the weather and the occasion maybe diminished the quality of the rugby. So it wasn't you know one of the classics as we've seen between these two teams in the championship in the last last couple of years. But it was a you know, kind of gripping game. Throughout, I thought South Africa played a, a pretty smart game. They're clearly a limited team, but they got to a point where they were two points behind with an attacking line out, sort of 10, 15 yards out with 10 minutes to go. And they had a real chance of, of, of winning. Uh, I thought New Zealand kicked away at a bizarre amount of possession, yeah, a agreed. lot of grubber kicks. That you know, talk about playing the percentages. I think that percentage is about seven percent in terms of it actually working. I don't know if anyone's done some stats on that. So they didn't seem to trust their their attacking game as much as you would have thought. That said, they played a fantastic third quarter and uh, a, a very calm last sort of six or seven minutes. It was a, a real street scrap, and if you just looked at the statistics you would wonder how the result came out the way it did, really. Yeah, I mean, like Andy says, the Springboks were just kind of clinging on in there, weren't they? Um, Obviously, New Zealand were wildly indisciplined, and I wonder what they'll do about that this week, because they can't afford to repeat that. They had a bizarre amount of offsides, which you'd think is quite an easy thing to rectify. Yeah, yeah. Um, One thing about them, little interesting detail, when they were trailing at half-time, was that they were out running passing drills on the pitch in the rain at half time while South Africa was still back in their changing room. And that's just, a, I suppose, a little touch, a little piece of attention to detail 
get used to handling the ball in those greasy conditions and get them really on it for the second half. Yeah, because we hadn't seen that weather leading into this, so I suppose you can forgive them a little for being slightly yeah, it slow came, like, to adapt. Just too late for the European teams, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's why England lost by 20 points to Australia. <laughs> but you think there would be a way with all of the, the science in preparing that you could have better prepared for this and have to have a... A training session at half time. I know I'm exaggerating slightly, but that in was... a giant shower cube. Yeah. Just... <laughs> you can go in altitude. I think, and... I think the rain. I mean, we've seen the All Blacks over the years have some um, amazing performances in the wet, and I think it almost restricted South Africa's more limited attacking game more. They've got you know they've got some good backs and they've played some good rugby in the last couple of years, but uh, the New Zealanders were sounder in their handling and and sort of in the second half and and uh, really. Superb try to... Yeah, agreed. What you're seeing with this New Zealand team, I think, is they can solve problems. And what they did in that game was solve the problem in front of them, which was heavy rain and South Africa playing in a very specific kind of way. And they found a way to win that game. And South Africa peaked as an attacking force in the first 80 seconds of the game. I think (laughs) quite touched those heights again. I mean, reading into some of these statistics, so New Zealand had two-thirds of the territory, made more than twice the metres, clean breaks and, and carries... So if they weren't more emphatic winners, is that worrying for going into the final? Yeah, well, as, as Andy pointed out, you know, that 13-6 that penalty count um, is a bit of a concern and they will need to fix that. And um, as, as Andy also pointed out, the, you know, the bizarre uh, over too much kicking. Giving, giving, giving the pill away. Um, but no, I, I think overall, yeah, they, as I said, they will need to... Um, lift, lift the game in a few areas but th- I just think that composure they showed at the end and, and a number of the key areas of the game like the line out was fantastic because um, that's something you know occasionally the Springboks have bested them in the line out they you know they've got you know five good options in, in, in the line out now um, that fantastic steal from Sam Whitelock that could have could have saved the game and I, I just think you know through the team um, 1 to 23 um, we're, we're looking at a fantastic all, all black team and just you know the, the substitutions they have it's it's really a, it's, it's a great advantage isn't it guys oh it's a huge advantage yeah I, I love the way you picked out the line out there that was brilliant and they did such a number on South Africa at the lineup. I think we've seen throughout this World Cup we talk about the need for experience in World Cups and right from the start that South Africa uh, loss to Japan when they you know I talked about it on one of the early podcasts blew that overlap with about 400 caps waiting for the ball and in this game we saw Jerome Kano who's been I mean, how many caps 60 70 caps for the All Blacks one of the most infantile yellow cards you could possibly see, <laughs> just kicking the ball off like a naughty school kid. Habana getting a yellow card. Victor Matfield. No one could have possibly accuse Victor Matfield of being inexperienced at this stage <laughs> of his career. Coming on and having a penalty overturn for a shoulder charge into a ruck that was, a, I think, about 15 minutes to go. And instead of being a kick for golfers, South yeah. Africa was New Zealand back up the other end of the pitch. And I think we've seen throughout um, the dangers of experience in this World <laughs> Cup. And uh, I think the next, I'd like, yeah, if only England had just picked the entire team that won the under-20s World Cup. <laughs> the one thing uh, Habana did uh, that I think Australia will look at was the South Africans really targeted Milner Scudder with the high ball, and he struggled a bit with Habana in the contest for that. And I wonder if you'll see Australia picking up on that in the final. It is um, at the end of, of Brian Habana's international career, and what a, what a great servant he's been to rugby. Yeah, he's uh, proved very good at r- running with a rugby ball and putting it down over a try line. <laughs> yeah, which is um, his job. Yeah, and... Uh, yeah, it's a 
a shame. He's such a brilliant player uh, that it wasn't a, it, his finest hour to go out on. Did a couple of great catches early on, but then yeah, that was a rather silly yellow card, I guess. And um, particularly as they scored from that move anyway. He's got the, he's got the third place playoff in this. Um, the, uh, yes, the match called. that no one wanted to play in. Yes, but uh, the bat- that my kids are very excited about going to watch. So, so, um, I think a lot of South Africans are quite in two minds about that, whether they should be picking their younger players or using it as one last hurrah for the likes of Matfield and Habana. How do we think that the South Africans will view this tournament? Because obviously coming into it, there was a great deal of trepidation about what sort of form they'd show. And then the early humiliation to Japan. What do we think the verdict will be? You know, as has been said a million times, what a wonderful game that was. And I think, you know, Japan is going to do a splendid job of hosting in four years' time. Um, Like Michael Checker, unfortunately, from an All Blacks perspective, um, Eddie Jones is a brilliant coach. And so, yeah, it's fascinating that spread of coaches, you know, worldwide. Um, But in in, in terms of South Africa, um, yeah, a, a, a sad farewell in some respects for Brian Habana but I'd just like to uh, take a moment to praise Schalkberger who I thought had another had another terrific game and was extraordinarily gracious at the press conference afterwards and I think you know with all the complicated history and politics of South African rugby um, he's been a great leader and great ambassador for the game and you know a man who between World Cups came almost as close as you can to dying without dying um, has had horrific family tragedy straight out of the pages of JM Kurtzia's superb novel Disgrace um, I yeah I just think he's been a he's been a great servant to South African rugby and um, you know that the, the spirit of rugby at its best and we know that Richie McCall will now not be cited for the incident that on reflection wasn't quite the incident we thought it was in in real time is that a relief yeah, I mean, I think these. I think you know, R- Richie McCaw is, is isn't perfect, and it is an incredibly physical and ferocious game. And he oh, like are you, are it, you it, allowed to say that as a New Zealand? <laughs> you not have your passport revoked. Yeah, I, I may I, I may be stuck here, but in, in this case, this was an absolutely ludicrous, and I'm almost embarrassed to be discussing it. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you for saying that. I completely agree with you. It was you know, <laughs> along with yeah, it's almost it, it's it's up there with. Yeah, even, even um, the, the Alessana Tuolangi thing was ridiculous too, but this one even even slightly more so. And uh, Andy, you know, you were writing that there was a, a nice moment involving um, Richie McCaw at the end of the end of the match. Oh, it was just it was interesting to see that he didn't celebrate the win, and a lot of the younger players around him were celebrating, understandably. McCaw didn't. I think he's not going to celebrate until this weekend, uh, assuming it goes his way. What he did do was go straight up to Victor Matfield and have a handshake with him and a, a very nice conversation I think um, like Charles Berger just two of the great men of rugby yeah I guess you know having won one there's probably no excitement for him in uh, just making the final as you mm. said so um and what's interesting is contrasting, we were talking about that extraordinary rugby they showed against France and then the nature of this match as as you were saying Andy it's the minds the intelligence of the rugby is quite Interesting yes. to I think South Africa made a good move in not playing as appallingly badly as France. <laughs> <laughs> Sound strategic move from the box. Well, that's all, uh, all blacks for now. We'll be back shortly, though, to talk about the other semi final. This podcast is sponsored by Heineken, proud to open Rugby World Cup 2015. Get closer to the action at heineken.com/slash rugby. 
Yesterday, Australia beat Argentina 29-15. A hat-trick of tries for Adam Ashley Cooper ultimately settled the outcome and secured the Wallabies their first final appearance for 12 years and remarkably their first ever final with New Zealand. Australia was seven points up after three minutes. The Pumas over-ambitious start, playing into the hands of their well-organised opponents. Um, Andy Bull, do you think the scale of it got to the Pumas, do you think? I'm not sure if it was the scale of it. I think they almost didn't appreciate the scale enough. They were trying to be so ambitious in that first half. I don't think they quite realised that they needed to be a bit cannier in what they were doing in that kind of match on that kind of occasion. They kept trying to run the ball. Instead of trying to play for field position, they were refusing to kick it pretty much in the first 40. It was kind of lunacy, to be honest. And we'd been so celebrating that expansive style of rugby, but it wasn't the time and place for it. Well, it's great if you win, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Sanchez chipping over his fifth penalty to peg the score back to 22-15 late on. And then Australia's defensive line being really run ragged by some excellent attacking play. Was it in doubt? You were there again, Andy Zoltzman, weren't you? Did you think it was in doubt? Uh, Not entirely. Um, Australia's scramble defence was fantastic. I think Argentina made a total of 13 uh, clean breaks, although there seemed to be about five in the last minute. Um, (laughs) Uh, Argentina played some fantastic rugby but they had given an absolute masterclass in how not to play the first 10 minutes of a World Cup semi-final. It's hard to see what more they could have done in terms of playing the first 10 minutes of a semi-final wrong apart from having a man sent off and mooning the ref. Is that a yellow or a red offence? I don't know. I think it's yellow for one cheek, red for two. Uh, or um, They're such a glorious team but I think they just needed to think, right, let's play with a bit, a bit of brain as well and that, the thing is they, they got out of their difficulty against Ireland last week by playing from their own half and trusting their skills but mm. that first 10 minutes just thought and as we saw the game went on their forwards had you know parity or better with the Australians in, in most areas of the game and you know they just played it up the pitch and built a game from there uh, Australia were impressively clinical um, another good game from uh, Scott Fardy, who uh, every time they play, people say, Oh, he doesn't get enough credit. He's such an untung hero. <laughs> I, I, mean, he, I wrote that so, in today's paper. Someone, You're going to some, make me blush. Someone could, <laughs> someone could release an entire album of songs about Scott Fardy, and people like Andy would still be saying he's unsung. <laughs> I mean, I, I was conflicted because I want to see the you know the All Blacks thrash the Wallabies in the final, but I would have loved to see the Pumas get, get, get an upset. But yeah, it was, I guess, you know, they, they, they'd, they'd come in from a game against uh, an, a, a disappointing Ireland. So they just sort of thought they could play. That. They didn't adjust their game like the All Blacks did. Um, and yeah, you, as as uh, our, our fellow panelists have said here, you know that you, you you've got to get your that that kind of wonderful attacking rugby is fine, but you have to have your your your, your basics right. And that was a really key moment. Um, Sanchez just giving giving the the ball for that intercept try to to, to Australia, which um, you know it, it, it was a, it was a shocking start. Yeah. We've mentioned Fardy, we'll come back to him maybe again. But Hooper and Pocock also magnificent. Oh, they are. And um, in the final, it's, you know, this is, this is going to be a spectacular showdown. You know, the two greatest uh, loose forward duos in the world. Pocock, he's just the, the master of the, 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 the turnover. And the, the two of them, you know, they've, they've, they've been, uh, and, and Fardy, the, th- the third man, um, have, 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 have been terrific now for a while. Um, I think, though, as we saw with the All Blacks and the, the semi, J- Jerome Kaino, his, his attacking ability, they may just slightly have it over them. And then, with as I was saying before, the All Blacks with that 
exceptional bench they've got. Um, having Sam Kane, who's due a big game, has been a bit disappointing thus far this tournament. And also Victor Vito, who again is fantastic um, on attack. I, I, I think that could, could, could be the difference. Andy Bull, we've seen uh, with, with Wales, and again here the Wallabies can take a real battering and still come out on top. Yeah, uh, and when looking back over the World Cup, that, that eight-minute stretch against Wales is going to be one of the, the defining periods for this Wallaby team, whether they win it or not. The fact they came through that in the way they did showed the spirit they have and the, the strength of will that Michael Checker has instilled in the side, which is extraordinary. Because lots of people talking about the difference he's made in, in, in such a short period of time in yeah, charge, I, relatively I've, I've seen an awful lot of Australia in this World Cup, and I've, I really like Michael Checker now. I've never met a man who... Uh, is more intolerant of other people's bullshit. <laughs> I mean, his his demeanour in press conferences is just extraordinary. And you can ask pretty much any kind of question you want, and he's going to shoot it down. He, he's just, no, don't think that, mate. Nonsense. And that's given them, do you think that's helped to give them this resolve under pressure? I, I think he's very, he, he is, the word he always comes back to is honest. We're very, very honest in what we're trying to do, which is why he doesn't indulge in these cliches that me and other journalists try and get him to talk about. He's just kept them very down-to-earth, very honest about what they're doing, uh, and really just focused on the next match. The sports press conference is the spiritual home of bullshit, so it's (laughs) it's a good place for him to thrive. Um, The resolve under pressure is interesting. Bearing against Scotland, it wasn't really there. They they got ratty and, and... you know, lucked out in the end, really, um, in a game that they should have probably won quite clearly, given the a number of tries they scored and the way they gave points away. But yeah, it, either side of that, the Wales game and uh, Argentina, they were they were impressive. There were just a couple of moments, even after Argentina made that awful start, particularly the very end of the first half, when Hernandez failing to obey the schoolboy rule of keeping the ball in both hands had to try a sort of miracle offload rather than a more simple pass. That, that then went to ground and was slightly oddly called as a knock-on. Um, mm. You felt if Argentina had scored then and it been, I think, would have been two or four points in it going into half time, then maybe would have seen. I mean, Australia, I thought, did crack under pressure against Scotland, and they were always just far enough ahead for it not to get really taught for them. I mean, the Scotland match, two things about that. Checker admitted afterwards that he got his coaching wrong in the week beforehand, and he let them take their eyes slightly off that game. And I think also Pocock. Uh, we've talked about him a bit already, but he, I mean, he is the best player in the world right now for me. I mean, he's what he brings to that team is extraordinary. Uh, not just the turnovers, although those obviously are such a threat, but you'll see him marshalling the defence, you'll see him scrambling back, you'll see him popping up on people's shoulders. He's doing so much work. Really, he's he. There is. I mean, that team depends on him to an extraordinary amount. Yeah, I've seen someone writing that it's extraordinary how a man can sort of be that flexible and bend and move and just not snap because it's yeah. the positions and the way he managed to scrap. Them. Uh, he's he's made fourteen turnovers in the tournament so far. No one else is in double figures, and he's done that in four matches, not six. We've talked about the, the, def- the defensive solidity under pressure, but there's been some attacking flair as well. Oh yeah, no, they, they've they've got a strong backline. Um, again, I think in terms of their their men off the pine, their bench, they're maybe not quite as strong as us. Although they do have Kurtley Beale, and he's you know he's a, he was fantastic um, yesterday. And I think you know that's been I, I much as I agree with Andy, much as it's hard for a Kiwi to praise an Aussie, um, he's a he's a fantastic coach. He's 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 fun in the press conferences, um, and you know that 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 fiery you know he he was a back rower himself, so he you know he brings that. 
that 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 leadership of that part of the game there. Um, but yeah, he, he does have a you know he plays a he plays in a, uh, the coach plays an attacking game in the press conferences and also on on the field. So it, it is going to be exciting and someone like Adam Ashley Cooper, um, you know, g- getting on a bit now, but still 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 got it as uh, as shown with that hat trick. The hat trick try. Uh, does appear on TV replays to possibly have gone forward. What do we think? Well, on on first blush, um, I, I think I'll need to go back and have a you know spend some time with it. But it did. Uh, <laughs> Wayne Barnes, you know, eight eight years ago, I think he's a very good referee overall. Now had a strong tournament. He wasn't uh, as good last night, and I, I, yeah, I think that did have a little bit of shades of Cardiff to it. But the one eight years ago was the one to Michelac, that horror show. That was a, a country mile forward. Um, I'm, I'm not not completely sure about this one. Dead but Square wasn't it? I was there. Six months. Ago. It's It's one of those incidents that super slow-mo, multiple TV replays, you could argue, but you you, you can't just start judging rugby. I thought it was okay. I thought, you know, he was going forward a bit. There was a bit of momentum. It's such, I mean, it's a pretty, it seems a grey area. There's too much physics involved. Physics should be banned from sport. I thought it was just a shame that Mitchell couldn't go the whole way himself. It would have been one of the all-time classic individual tries. Yeah, and he beat five men. And, uh, you know, he's, I think, given the Australian attack... Uh, an added um, edge that uh, that has clearly helped, and I mean, people have talked about that. You know, changing their rules to get guys like um, Gitto and Mitchell in, and it's clearly helped. But you know, these are for guys with what I think sixty caps of the regulation. Yep. And people say, well, why didn't England do the same? And England, well, the guys England are talking about, have got you know two or five. Yes, very true. Five yeah. caps, and it's yeah, not quite the same. Four out of seven kicks for Foley. Is that a concern? Yeah, I guess it could be in in the final, which is, you know, you you know it's going to be a tight match, you know kicking's going to be important. A, a bigger concern would be Scott Seo, who they really, really need to be fit to play this weekend, because James Slipper, his replacement, had a horror show uh, and was penalised three times and then hauled off the pitch. Checker tried to be nice about him afterwards, but um, yeah, I would really be quite worried about that unless they get Seo back. And it is, we've said this before, but worth reflecting again, when you think of where the Wallabies were a year ago, to be where they are now is, is quite an achievement, Andy. Uh, it is. I mean, they've, they've always had the, the, the talented players, but I mean, particularly, I mean, they were pretty awful against the Lions two years ago. And, yeah, Checker's done a, a fantastic job, clearly. I, mean, I thought Genia looked much better this weekend than earlier in the tournament. Uh, from Argentina's point of view, I'd like, there was a whole card their coach said, our legacy is the way we play the game, which I thought was a kind of glorious quote and probably applies to Lancaster's England as well in a <laughs> negative way. Of course, they've got to settle for this. Uh, Argentina, this is for the Friday bronze medal game against South Africa. And, and as you're hinting there, a host of new friends that they've won with the spirit of the way they've played yeah. and the, and the calibre of the rugby. It's been absolutely brilliant. And they were, you know, the, I think they will always look back on that game and think they'll they might, you know, it would be the kind of game where they'd want to have another go at it for the rest of their lives because they were they showed the quality to get through a team as defensively organised as Australia as often as they did, but not finish off those chances and donate charitably a number of points. Um, but they've been absolutely glorious and you know, one of the features of this this tournament. I really hope that we'll see them more often here in the autumn internationals when they've you know it's tended to be the same teams over and over again. I hope we see more of the Pacific teams. Um, you know, hopefully Japan will will play as well. I, th- I really hope that this this World Cup that you know one of the legacies of this World Cup is to properly open up the game in between 
tournaments into the sort of global festival that we've seen here. Yeah, I just think it's been fantastic having them in the championship, having those regular games for them against New Zealand and against the Springboks and against the Wallabies. It's, it's really lifted the game and lifted enthusiasm in, in Argentina for it. And you're now next year, they've got a super franchise. Um, it's, 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 it's very exciting. I, I also think um, the Six Nations need to let Georgia in. You know, that, that, would, that would be really cool. Um, but it was enough trouble persuading people that it should be six without making it seven, wasn't it? <laughs> people are, some people are still making their minds up about France, I think. <laughs> there was great support for them yesterday, both from I mean, some highly entertaining Argentinian fans, and I think pretty much every neutral in the ground was rooting for them. Are we in any doubt that the best two teams are in the final? This is this when right from the word go, this is what we thought might happen. Well, England were robbed, clearly. You know, if, only, <laughs> if only they got three more converted tries against Australia, they could have been there. Well, I I think um, I don't want to be arrogant. I do think the All Blacks are favourites, um, but you know, again, Michael Checker is, is a brilliant coach. Um, I, I agree with Andy uh, Scott CO that they're going to be they're going to be sweating over that because um, that's one of the things Checker's done. He's improved their notorious marshmallow scrum, um, and so CO could make a big difference there. Yeah, look, it's it's going to be it's going to be a hell of a game. It's going to be epic. It's going to be close. Um, you know, there's going to be some key moments like that. Whitelock line-out steal over over the Springboks that that that, that decided, I think. Andy Saltzman. Uh, incidentally, the notorious Marshmallow was my uh, name when I was on the hip hop circuit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if they're necessarily underdogs. Um, I mean, given what happened in the the decisive game of the Rugby Championship this year, uh, I know New Zealand beat them the following week, but I guess you know that was probably the more important game. They've. Uh, it's, uh, I'd say New Zealand are very marginal favourites, but in a way, I mean, there's so much pressure on New Zealand because, as you say, it is the sport there. If they lose, the whole nation's going to be a bit cranky with them. Well, you feel with Australia that Australian rugby fans will be a bit cranky, but it's not quite, it doesn't seem, mm. maybe that's wrong, but it doesn't seem like quite the same sort of overwhelming expectation. Well, clearly, it could go either way. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb. And there. it has <laughs> been such a fantastic uh, tournament that we just hope that it is a great rugby match don't we yeah yeah I mean finals don't often provide great rugby matches close tense excruciating perhaps um, it'll be great from that point of view yeah I hope there's some tries in it I mean there hasn't been yeah. I mean, arguably there's never been a kind of classic match in a World Cup final there's been you know tense matches and good matches but you know it would be great if it's you know, 25-24 with a couple of tries each. And of course, at stake here, who will be the first team to win three World Cups? It's neck on the line time. Andy Bull, who's winning? Uh, I'm going to just give the edge to New Zealand because I think they're a more adaptable team. There are more ways in which they can beat you. Uh, but I think Australia are a really bloody good side. Andy? Oh, I think Australia might sneak it. But, yeah, I'm not, yes, I'm not convinced by that, but they, they might... They, yeah, I'm going to go for Australia. And I almost don't need to ask you, Alexander, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Who's going to win it? Yeah, it's, it's going to be the All Blacks. It, it, it'll be close, but that, that depth we have on the on, on the bench, um, you know, guys, we, you know, we, you take off Ma'a Nonu and bring on Sonny Bill Williams, guys like Charlie Fomoina, Bowden Barrett. Um, you know, they are, they are fantastic. And, you know, we're seeing someone like Ben Smith both at, at the back too on um, attack and defence. He's, he's got it all over Israel Folau at the moment, showing um, great balletic grace under the high ball. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a cracker, I think, but the All Blacks all the way. And you're right, Ben Smith has been one of the standout players of the tournament. Extraordinarily good. I've noticed, though, when he's not running full pelt, he runs like an old man. <laughs> I mean, he's a glorious athlete in full flow, but when he's like, trotting up the field for a, 
you know, after a kick for you know, get ready, and he he runs like an old man. Just no one's in, brought that to the world's attention. Yet. <laughs> I think that's just in contrast to the swashbuckling shimmies and swoops of yeah. Nehe Milnaskada. Yeah. <laughs> what I really want to see from this weekend is some attention for Scott Fardy because I think <laughs> <laughs> this is an answer. <laughs> I've just heard Banana Rama have released an entire album. <laughs> Oh, well, that's all for this episode of our Rugby World Cup 2015 podcast. Thanks to our panel, Andy Zaltzman, Andy Bull and Alexander Bisley. We'll be back next week for the last World Cup podcast to look back on the final and the tournament as a whole. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or keep up with us at acast.com slash rugbyworldcup. Make sure you check out all The Guardian's previews and coverage of the tournament at theguardian.com slash sport. I'm Sandy Waugh. Our producer is Peter Sale. Thanks for listening. This podcast is sponsored by Heineken, proud to open Rugby World Cup 2015. Get closer to the action at heineken.com slash rugby.